Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Roan, I have to say I'm particularly excited about this interview and this guest today because it is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And I have had to, I've had to plan this intro here for it not to be 30 minutes. Yeah, dude. Uh, of course, this would be near and dear to of your course, heart. Yeah, of course it would. Yeah. No doubt. To bring a man Why onto is this, that? Yeah, to bring a man onto this <laughs> podcast that says, hey, preacher, leave the kids alone, right? <laughs> um, we, hey, can we, can we use that song maybe as we the should. intro for maybe just this should. episode? Yeah, it turns out Pink Floyd was right, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, yeah, but it's something that's been on my mind, obviously, for the better part of a decade, uh, working in a church. And we actually did an episode about this, mm. you know, at the beginning of this whole adventure. Uh, but the the perspective this guest brings is is unique and really, really valuable to hear. But we should acknowledge at the outset uh, that it's important for both of us as men, as people who are believers in Jesus to be as critical as possible Mm. about the efforts of the church. Because to me, if I'm not criticizing something and examining it, I'm not respecting it. And I'm especially not respecting the people who are engaged with it if I'm allowing it to do damage without being the person who's speaking up. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is when you have a whole group of people, sometimes thousands, that are just marching with the band and you're the person that says something different, that can be a very dangerous place. Oh boy, can it ever, you know, I always say, I, and I firmly believe this since the day I came to Jesus, I've been involved in church, still involved in church, but I believe that we need to be throwing rocks through the stained glass windows Mm. from the inside, not from the outside. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's a responsibility uh, as believers, as followers of Jesus, uh, to follow the anarchist that we follow. Because last time I checked, he wasn't real big on the institution and the organization. But, but, you know, even when you say that, uh, man, I've had people get, you know, they get riled up. But, I mean, just, I mean, that's what he did. He, regularly he didn't really think a whole lot of uh the way they did it no 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 no. i don't know it's like uh, maybe i'm reading a different bible I asked maybe, this, well, maybe. <laughs> knowing you maybe probably uh, yeah. i ask this question to people a lot i'm like hey where do you think jesus was the least welcomed mm. and they think about it for a moment and they realize i'm back into the corner and i say church church is the place where jesus was the least welcome then i follow that by saying i'm not sure much has changed I'm not sure much has changed. So no wonder you are no longer <laughs> that's pastoring. Right. Worked myself out of a job, right? That's my specialty. That's why uh, I love you. Yes, but this interview that we're we're talking about today, that we're going to get to experience together today, is, uh, for our listeners, uh, is is a man who decided there's a way to do this better, which does make me respect. It. You know, being a pastor and thinking there's a way to do this better, mm. and the thing that he attacked is the fact that pastors, well. He doesn't use these words, but we can uh, approach these topics completely clueless, mm. completely unaware, and usually pretty angry, not with themselves, but with the people that are in their congregations. Oh, yeah. And and I think I say this in the episode, but it's, um, you know, just 
so many people sitting out there hurting, um, and you, you know, you just get more shame on top of the shame that's already there, uh, and it's not helpful. Uh, and I I call it because I, I mean, we get so many people coming in to see us uh, in our counseling practice. And the, the horror stories that you hear when they've gone to their pastor, because so often the pastor is on, I mean, he's the front line. That's who they go to uh, in crisis. And boy, they a lot of times they get, it's more harmful than helpful. And I just, the term I use is, is helper trauma, because I, I don't believe they're maliciously doing it. But boy, when they're not uh, versed in this stuff and they don't know how to speak to it, uh, they need to stay in their lane and make sure they get them out of their office real quick to somebody that does. Yeah, I agree with you. And the, the office is one thing, but today we're going to hear stories and uh, in this interview about the pulpit and the things that are said in the pulpit. And one of the most tragic parts about that is that it's a one-way conversation. It is a speech, you know. I actually call it a speech in, in my house, which upsets my wife greatly. <laughs> uh, we grew up very conservative, so the fact that I call my sermon speeches really, you know, she's like, you're not Abraham Lincoln. It's it's a sermon. It's not a speech. Dude, you're definitely not Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, that's but right. But I always, look, I've got an idea for a new church. We can, we'll call it Mystery Science Theater Church. <laughs> and everybody in, in their pew will have their own little keyboard and at the bottom of the screen you can just write comments uh, as he's talking oh, that'd as, be he's, great. as he's speaking so is this going to replace the ted talk church is that yes. does that replace that well we're going to do that too oh yeah, both of them yeah, okay yeah. it just depends on which auditorium yeah, but you wouldn't walk that be into. great if you like just you know while, while you're up there preaching uh in the uh, on the big screen up underneath at the bottom is little comments from, oh yeah i don't know if i can handle oh it. god it was just so so great yeah the so church great. the church where i have worked would be way too honest about that and probably what happen is we would all be laughing so hysterically yeah, yeah. we couldn't finish church which would right? probably be better than the message anyway that'd right? be great yeah yeah so before we get to the interview sam serio dr sam serio is with us uh based out of california and the the perspective that he has so great but one phrase that he uses uh, is looking past the habits into the hurt mm. which i think is a really interesting mm. idea not just in sermonizing or in how to organize a church but relationally speaking to be able to look past other people's habits and to try to find or see or listen to or experience with that other person the hurt man and then that's something that's often sorely sorely missing um i i often have said um with you know, pastors and just talking about the issue of homosexuality, I'm like, look, why don't we get this heterosexual thing fixed first? Oh boy! Before we start, you know, railing uh, on that, because I mean, it's just a problem across the board. And uh, but no, we want to pick our pet topics and talk about that. That's it. Yep. Yeah, especially on Sunday morning. So I, I believe that our listener audience is really going to appreciate this man's perspective and his boldness in talking about mm -hmm. what he has perceived over 40 years of the connections between one thing and another based on operating in the human experience with other people, not on a stage, but in living rooms. And as it turns out, basements, which was a pretty interesting story. Yeah, great story. Great story. Yeah, I, 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 maybe we're going to title this episode, uh, Guilt, Gore, and God. That was awesome. That was great. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. So without further delay, here's our conversation with Dr. Sam Sirio. 
Excited to have Dr. Sam Sirio with us. Uh, Sam is the author of uh, the book, Sensitive Preaching to the Sexually Hurting. Um, uh, that book won uh, what, what, the Gospel Booksellers Association Book of the Year, I think. Uh, uh, Gospel Coalition, the best ministry book there it of is. the year. Yeah, the official, uh, yeah, which is uh, a great honor. And certainly that book is uh, something that um, uh, I think is a tremendous resource for pastors, for churches, uh, because this, this, this area of sexual brokenness, as I like to call it, uh, is is not getting any better, Sam. Uh, and uh, there's certainly, uh, as you say, uh, the I, the way you say it, uh, we we have the solution. Uh, we just we don't we won't talk about the problem or something like that. Yeah, it's the the world knows the yeah. problem, but not the solution. The church knows the solution, but not Amen. the problem. Amen. Boy, well said. Much better said than I say it, said it. Um, and so just uh, kind of uh, how did you, you know, kind of start doing this work and what led you uh, into this direction and uh, to write this particular book? Well, it was fascinating. In seminary days, one day in class, one of the professors said, I want each of you to become an expert in one topic in society, in one book of the Bible. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea. So I chose the book of Ephesians to know pretty well and the topic of abortion. That was my topic. So I was a pro-life speaker uh, at many different gatherings. And in my messages as a pro-life speaker, I would talk a lot about, don't do this. And what happens when an abortion is, is done? What happens to the baby? And I had a lot of gore and guilt and God. And I did pretty good as a young preacher doing guilt, gore, and God like a lot of <laughs> do today. Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that a course I, in seminary? Or, or did, do you learn that on your own? <laughs> <laughs> well, in certain denominations, it's, you know, it's, it's all big on making people feel guilty. Yep. It's part of the denominational culture, but we won't That's go right. there now. That's right. Um, in the book I tell preachers, I say, hey, you know, you got to examine your own preaching style. Are you more oriented towards truth and, you know, what's wrong or towards grace? Some of you are way too oriented towards grace in that you don't admit certain things are wrong. And some of you are way too oriented towards truth where you don't ever talk about healing or help or hope. So you got to have that balance like Jesus had, the perfect balance in John. He was full of truth and full of grace. So that's the goal of the book and what I do. So as I was a pro-life speaker, a lady, and I would do guilt, gore, and God, uh, ladies would come up afterwards and say, hey, privately, I already did this. I've already had, I get nightmares now from my baby. I, I hear the vacuum cleaner go on or the kitchen, uh, you know, and, and knives and and, and I think of my baby, is there any hope or help or healing or forgiveness? I, I'm in torture. I, I, I'm so sorry for what I did. And I didn't know what to say because I was just a typical preacher doing the guilt, gore, and God thing, truth, no grace. So I went back to the drawing board and you know, made my messages much better so that I vowed that I would never talk about abortion. Again, without, in that same message, talking to people who, assuming and knowing that they've already done it. So don't tell them just not to do it. Assume that many have, and that's true of many of these topics. So as I changed my message and made it better, 
uh, and then was doing the same rallies with a much better, more biblically balanced message. Other ladies would come up afterwards and give me stories of being raped and mm. molested, sexless marriage and pornography. And, and I didn't sign up for those topics. I just signed up for one. <laughs> so I then um, decided that when I got my doctorate in preaching, we had to write a book. And I said to my advisor, I said, you know, Jay, this, is gonna, this sex stuff is going to be a big deal in the future. Because I talked to a lot of people. And, and I always ask them, like, hey, you know, did you tell your pastor or your priest about this, this sad thing that you've done or that's been done to you? And they always, always would tell me, you've got to be kidding me. I would never tell my preacher. I wouldn't want them to yell at me in private like they do in public. They never talk about these topics ever. And if they do, it's yeah. always hellfire and brimstone. So... When I said to my advisor, you know, you ought to write a book about this. This is going to be a big deal. We need to equip pastors and churches and Christians to be the expert when it comes to healing. No matter what the hurt is, no matter what the habit is, God's the source of, he's, he can do better than anybody. So my advisor said to me, Sam, if it's your burden, it's your book. You write the book. It's your burden, it's your book. So I did. Mm-hmm. And a, lot of, um, a lot of publishers didn't want to publish it. They said, Dr. Sam, you're 20 years ahead of your time. We, we're not going to publish this. We're not ready. Church is not ready for that. So it's still not ready for that. Uh, but it does talk about seven different topics of abortion, pornography, sexless marriage, rape, childhood sexual abuse and molestation, casual sex, and also LGBTQ. So I deal with seven topics from a Christian uh, preaching and counseling perspective to equip people to know how to better uh, understand the reasons and the results so that you know that we know the emotions that are caused and we can heal people better than anybody else. So it's for preachers and counselors and just right across the kitchen table. You know how to help the lady who says, yeah, I was raped and I still suffer from it. I still have no confidence. I still am scared to date. I'm scared when my husband touches me. So there's you know a lot of repercussions, but that's how it started. Oh, yeah, man. You know, as one of those that was sexually hurting, uh, sitting in church, uh, I came to Christ when I was 20 years old, and I uh, I think I've told you this, you know, I always say it was very real because I was a 20-year-old frat boy that came to Jesus, and I quit drinking, cussing, and smoking, and so that mm-hmm. was serious, right? I, I, I was all in um, and started going to church and have been involved in church ever since. But those, uh, all of my addictive energy, all of the, you know, the my my chosen my drug of choice, uh, it went to sex, full blown sexual addiction, um, and and I was in church, uh, and and I always say I would sit there thinking I was the only one, um, mm-hmm. and then you're hearing the messages like somehow. If you're a sexual sinner, you're the worst of the worst. You know, they take uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and uh, kind of twist it into the, the guilt and the shame uh, method. And and you're just sitting there and you're dying. Uh, and you're thinking, man, everybody else is good. I'm the only one. And I think that cuts across uh, the, the church uh, because, and, you know, this was... Um, you know, in, in 1990 is when I admitted that uh, I had a problem with pornography, pornography to my wife. And, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. 
Um, and so this was, you know, during the 80s, and, man, nobody was talking about this on any level. And so, you know, God... Except in a negative way. Only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The world, the the world is talking about it, and they still are. And that voice is uh, very loud. And um, but man, the church, there was just there wasn't much offered there as far as help, hope, or healing. Well, and seminary doesn't equip pastors or preachers with how to deal with a sexually wounded and saturated society. It's like. You know, and women's ministries and men's ministries that say that they're cutting edge. You're not cutting edge. If you're not dealing with these topics, if you're not dealing with all seven of these topics, you know, what do you do? Go bowling all the time or just do book clubs? I mean, come on now, let's deal with real problems and issues and sadnesses that, you know, are preventing people from becoming stronger Christians because they have this secret that nobody wants to talk about, especially the pastor. So oh, yeah. You've got to deal, you know, none of this should surprise us. All these topics are in the Bible. All of it, them. It, it's all there, right? I mean, you know, they, they were worshiping at, you know, the temple prostitutes and, uh, you know, all the, I mean, just throughout the Old Testament and everything that was going, I mean, there, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just, you know, everything now has been um, amplified because of the high-speed internet uh, and the pornography and hookup apps and, I mean, I just the, the downside of the information age. But, yeah, this is, this is nothing new, uh, it, and, and it's just the church has been silent uh, for, for way too long. I, you know, I think it's changing uh, uh, somewhat, and at least people are talking about it. You know, Sam, I love the uh, the first part of your book uh, when you just kind of go through all the different scenarios of, you know, the people sitting in the pew. And, uh, boy, you know, the thing about it, we just, we know that that's true today. Those people are out there every Sunday. Um, and All the true stories, all those, every story in my book over the course of 40 years, all those are true stories. And, oh, yeah. Uh, we can't be duped by all the smiles on Sunday when, you, you know, I wrote an article for um, a few Christian magazines a few years ago about Father's Day. Mm. And I wrote an article saying, hey, you know, don't be, don't be a big cheerleader on Father's Day because there's a lot of people who aren't going to come to church today because their father or stepfather did some things that were very dishonorable. So before you go off and talk about honoring your father and putting people on a guilt trip for not doing that, and, you know, and, and just be mindful that there are people who are going to cringe mm. day, and just be mindful of those people, or they're going to miss that. They were like Mother's Day. They had an abortion. They're not coming to church on Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we have to kind of be open our eyes to the hurt that people have and just you know, not assume the best and be duped by people's smiles and everything because there's, you know, a lot of different people who, you know, if you add those seven topics of casual sex, abortion, and that includes men. You know, I've, I've spoken to men who wanted their girlfriends to have an abortion. They, they're affected too. Of date rape and sexual assault and sexual molestation as a child or pornography or LGBTQ. I predict about 70% of people over in your congregation in some way, shape, or form, either themselves or know someone or someone in their family, mm. 
are affected by these and the things that churches don't talk about. It's like the pastors are silent about it. So my book was was written to give them actual sermon words and, and counseling words that would help so that the person in the pew, when they're sitting there, and they would hear the pastor say something you know, that, that relates to the book, and they would say to themselves, oh my goodness, maybe I could talk to him or her because they would understand. Maybe they wouldn't yell at me. They get it. And that was mm. my goal. So that when they hear you and the tone of your voice and the content of your words and that you pause and you have a different tone, you're not always screaming, that people yeah. would say, I could talk to that person about that. I, I could confide in him. And that, that's then the mission is accomplished. Yeah, I uh, I had a guy uh, early this week. In fact, uh, he it was a situation at a church that he was aware of, and it was a uh, it was a customer of his, uh, an older lady, and uh, she was talking about the pastor, and uh, the pastor had come by her house and didn't talk about anything the the problem that was uh, apparently going on in the church, and this guy told to tell this older lady. He said, "You know that 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 thirty-minute visit with the pastor—that is the, the that is the most fake meeting that that ever takes place because nobody's going to talk to him about anything that's going on, something like that. And uh, boy, that's it's so true uh, because like it, it's our shame uh, that like I'm not going to talk to him. He's got it all together. He's perfect. Uh, he never talks about any of this." And um, I think, you know, again, your book is a resource just to be able to have a conversation or elicit a conversation uh, from somebody that's sitting out there just, you know, dying on the inside uh, is so, so needed. And the way you speak about it publicly as well is I included one of the chapters in the book is on called The Birds and the Bees and the Bible, where God talks about all of these topics all throughout the scriptures, and and whenever sexual sin is mentioned, it's in a list of other things. It's it's in the middle of the list, actually. Hmm. And for one reason, for somehow it got elevated to be the unpardonable sin, and you know that's not the unpardonable sin. So the purpose is to equip Christians that we have the best resource in the world in terms of the the power of God to change people's habits. Yes, you can change from being gay. Yes, your porn addiction, which has been there for years, is fixable and changeable. Yes, the hurt you feel from being raped or molested, God is aware of and can transform you. That there's no hurt, there's no habit that is above God's transforming power. And we should be the experts in these topics. And and we're the last choice when we should be the first choice. Oh yeah, um, there, there's nothing new under the sun. All this is is there in Scripture, um, and truth is truth, um, and, and it always will be true. And and we certainly have the the hope and the answer. Um, you know, uh, uh, one of the things you said in your book uh, that uh, somehow you know pastors don't want to talk about this because they'll think that. Uh, that people are thinking that they don't, when they are talking about it, well, it must be it must be his problem or something like that. Right. 
talk about that for a minute. Well, there's a lot of, you know, pushback from the church, unfortunately, from people sitting there. I was a pastor. I know these things where, you know, people assume that if you talk about something, you're usually guilty of it because in the past, preachers, you know, publicly, there were scandals and, and you know, bad things that happened. But, you know, some it, the funny thing is that the people that get all in a tizzy about the pastor who might have said something about sexual topics or hurts. Not, not about topics. It's never about topics. It's about hurts and habits and people. But the same people that get all in a tizzy that the pastor, the preacher said something, they're letting their kids on the internet and TV, um, you know, and in school talk about that stuff and they don't say anything when the school talks about it, but they get all in a tizzy when the church does. I just laugh at that. I just, oh, yeah. And, but then also... You know, if the pastor were to, just in the midst of a sermon, say, hey, and some of you might have done some things that, that you know, you, you really feel sorry about. Maybe you molested a child. Maybe you, if they just say that as part of, you know, some things that maybe some of you in a t- typical evangelistic call, the little old lady in the pew who just heard someone say, did he just say that there might be a child molester sitting next to me? So... They would get the, they would get in a tizzy because what the pastor mentions that and invites people who are in the pew to come to the front or come to him for counseling that are guilty of you know certain of these things or they've had some of these things done to them. You know, people think church is a place where I escape all that stuff. So part of it is a re-education of people in the church to let them know that that this is not a place of of safety, like you, the only safe place is heaven. Mm. Amen. Not the church. So that, yeah, I hope that the church is filled with some of these people, not that are members, you know, if they've done certain things, but but that the pastor would be a source of, wow, hey, I'm going to invite my friends because they, listen to that. I mean, they're talking about this and they understand, they get it. So, you know, if you want to be proud of your church, be proud of the fact that your pastor um, is talking in soft, emotional, invitational ways to people that, yeah, hopefully they are in the building and hopefully they are hearing your message and hopefully they'll come to Jesus. But people get in a tizzy if they assume that, you know, that someone who rapes someone is sitting next to them in the in the pew. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Eva and I, you know, we we'll often, you know, speak at churches and, you know, we're we're talking about married sex. And, and what's so amazing is like, if you just say the word sex uh, from the pulpit, uh, what you hear in the auditorium is all kind of the, the giggles and the hush laughter. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's just, you know, I think it's a reflection of just our immaturity uh, around, you know, these types of topics. Well, the funny thing is, in the Old Testament, you know, things weren't read. Th- th- things weren't written. They were read. So in the book of Deuteronomy, and it talks about sexual topics, all these things were read to the congregation with the children there. You know, yeah. Things were read out loud. So, so part of it is that, you know, and, and in the book I talk about using different, different alternative language that you can use, like the Song of Solomon does, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. But talking about the fact that, that you know, and most importantly, you're never going to talk about, you never do a topic or a talk or a sermon on childhood sexual abuse. 
No, I'm going to go around the boat and I'm going to go around the side and talk about the emotions that people feel. Maybe you feel horrible today. It's a typical evangelistic appeal. Maybe you feel horrible that maybe you've done something or something's been done to you and you don't feel like you're worthy. Maybe you were molested by someone. You know, in the course of the conversation that you mentioned other, and you talk about the emotion, and then you get in, you pause, you say it nicely, invita- invitationally, and then you get out. And you would be surprised how many people will come to you and say, I get, oh my goodness, I could talk to him. So it's how you, it's the method, not just the message. And in the book, I talk about, you know, different methods to let people know that, that I'm not surprised by anything. And people come to my website and they say, oh my goodness, I heard that nothing surprises you, that nothing I've done and nothing that's been done to me surprises you. And you can talk about this stuff and yet you're a strong Christian. And that's the way every Christian should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, again, it's just the it, immaturity um, in not being able to talk about this because I always, I always want to ask them, like, what, what Bible are you reading? Uh, you must be reading a different Bible that, that cut all these parts out or something because, I mean, uh, you know, God, God's Word is just uh, very real uh, and very honest, and uh, it certainly talks about it. Especially the Song of Solomon, my goodness gracious. Yeah. It takes away some of the metaphorical language where, you know, God describes to our body parts as plants and fountains and all those things, which it's a honeymoon night. And, um, you know, he's not embarrassed, so why should we be? So, you know, it's part of just re-educating the church and letting them know that, hey, my purpose is ministry, not controversy. Mm. And when Amen. people see that your heart is in the right spot, and I'm here to help people who hurt, and there are people who have a lot of sexual secrets here. Currently, that's going on. I know I was speaking to one lady who was, um, you know, she would cry herself to sleep at night. She waited till marriage to have sex. You know, she, she did what her pastor told her to do. Yeah. And then, you know, what's he doing downstairs playing video games and watching porn stuff? And she said to me, I waited all this time for that. Mm. Hello, I waited for this. Like, I, yuck, you know. So there's just um, there's nothing wrong with talking about these topics, and I just want to equip ministry leaders to be much better, much more competent, and much more compassionate. When they're so that's why in the book I talk about all seven. I only started learning about one, but I had to go into all seven in order to really do a good job to equip. Christians with the tools on I can handle anything you tell me. Oh yeah. Because God yeah. because God can. Yeah. And you know, one of the things in just, you know, working with couples and, and parents and uh, uh, we we see it so often is that uh, the parents the reason that parents don't talk to their children about sex uh, is because of their own shame. Uh, the things in their own past uh and sometimes it may just be like you said, growing up in a home where a Christian home, uh, and you know the message that you get is kind of like, sex is bad, it's dirty, uh, don't do it, save it for the person you love and marry. And it's like, that's well, it. that, yeah, yeah, that's a well, that's a great message. Uh, it's bad, don't do it, save it for the person I love the most. Uh, that that's encouraging. Uh, and so. 
but so often uh, they just, you know, they won't have the conversations with their children, but it's based in their own shame. And then if the pastor even might talk about it, you know, they get really angry uh, because, like you're saying, the little old lady, uh, but these could just be, you know, the people in the church, uh, because it just taps into that shame, and they don't want to hear it, uh, talk about it, and then uh, they don't pass on the information, the healthy information to their children. And mm-hmm. we we go as children have to learn about sex, you know, through our peers and peers in porn. That that's where most most men learn about sex. And part of it is that you know you, people just haven't learned how to help people who have had these things happen to them. And if a pastor knew the emotions that people feel and the scriptures that, that God uses on helping those emotions to heal, I, I think of a true story that's in the book where a lady, a, a nice Christian lady, um, opened, it was a chapter on, on rape, maybe you remember that, but true mm-hmm. story, where she went to her, she, she was raped one morning. She opened the door to let someone use the phone uh, this was before cell phones. This was a while back, not too long ago. And, you know, she was being a good Christian, and he didn't want to use the phone. He wanted to use her, and he raped her on her kitchen floor. And so she, after she took a shower because she felt horrible, she knew she couldn't tell her husband because he'd want to, I mean, she couldn't tell anybody. So She felt she couldn't tell anybody. Went to her pastor, and she's telling her pastor about the situation. And, and then eventually, in due time, she mentioned to him, I hate him. I hate this man who did this to me. I will never forgive him. You know, which is completely understandable. And what did the pastor say? So instead of weeping with those who weep, and instead of realizing that it's understandable to think that right now, what does the pastor do? Because we're always the ones who give advice. Whoa, you can't leave here. You need to forgive that man. We're supposed to forgive we're supposed to, like, you're guilty of the sin of hatred and bitterness. And, you know, we're told to forgive and gave into a big sermon, as preachers do, on forgiveness. Wow. They never went to, and that's what, but you know what? A lot of pastors do that. A lot of Christians mm-hmm. so Because we're not equipped with, yeah, I want to tell that person to forgive, but in due time. But for now, if they knew some of the ways in which these people feel who have been molested or raped or they're dealing with an abortion or they suffer with LGBTQ or porn, that if you know what to say and how to help them, you're not going to say stupid things like yeah. this pastor did. I mean, he was well-meaning, good intentions, but bad skills. And mm-hmm. we've got to up our skills when it comes to knowing how to help these people and not just go into a quick, you know, one-person soliloquy and sermon on, you know, he found the one topic which he's an expert in, which is forgiveness. And, you know, he, she were, she felt worse oh, yeah. after her time with the pastor than with the time with her rapist. Because now she's got double guilt. Then now she's guilty. She's the one who's terrible. Mm. Just, but, but all those are true stories in the book. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, as Christian counselors, uh, we, we hear too many stories of you know the the people that have gone to their pastor and oftentimes he's the front lines you know they that's where they'll go first mm-hmm. and boy the things that they get told um, 
it I, I my term for it I just I call it helper trauma. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're trying to go get some help and they just get more traumatized. Uh, it's 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 harmful, and so it's so important uh, to develop those skills and to be able to like just to relate to people that are hurting. Or we're told we tell people to forget over it. That's in the past. It's been forgotten. Mm. It's been forgotten. Yeah, there are certain ways that we, especially as Christians, um, botch up pretty good by using Christian terminology. And um, I'll never forget when I spoke with a lady who had been molested for many, many years when she was young. And I was interviewing her. And I was, this was new when I was working on the book. And I wanted to interview this lady who I knew had been molested. I went to her house. And as she was telling me the story of how she had been molested for like 10 years by her dad, Mm. and, you know, when she finally went to him, finally, and he said, well, you wanted this, it was your fault, you know, and and then he did a double whammy on her. So this lady was living with a lady now. You think she's ever going to get married to men? No. Mm. Think she's ever going to get married? No. So, you know, her lesbianism was partially due to her abuse. She, She didn't want to be with a man. So sure. the average Christian would just think, you're, you know, not see that hurt. They'd see the hate, not the hurt. So long story short, when I talked to her about Jesus coming into her life and her Heavenly Father and being used by God instead, her terminology was just like, hmm. well, I don't want, you know, I've already been used by my Father. No, thank you. Jesus coming into my life, I already had him come into me. This my Father come into me. Oh, yeah. So her terminology was quite, you know, we were on opposite planets because of her sadness. And the interesting thing, I got to tell you this, was um, after about a half an hour, 45 minutes, she said, um, you need to leave. I need, you need to go. And I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I just, my therapist has told me that when I get these flashbacks and triggers, you know, talking about it, that I just... You know, I just gotta, I gotta deal with, I gotta work through it. So it'd be better for you to leave. And I'm gonna go down the basement and, you know, we'll call it a night. And I was worried for her. And I said, Are you gonna be okay? Because I was thinking that maybe she was gonna go kill herself because of our conversation. <laughs> so, so, you know, I said, You okay? She said, Yeah. She said, You know what? I trust you. Come on downstairs. I wanna show you something. Well, I'm getting worried again <laughs> for different reasons. Thinking that maybe I'm going to be killed. She's going to kill you. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, because I, yeah, I cause flashbacks and triggers. Neither. So I went downstairs behind her, you know, carefully down the steps. Never forget. There was a punching bag, a huge punching bag. She said, "I'll punch on this for about an hour, and then after I'm exhausted, just exhausted from punching, I'll just grab onto the bag and just lean on it and say, Daddy, Daddy, why couldn't you love me?'" Why did mm. you do this to me? Why couldn't you love me? And you know what? I went up those steps, and I vowed to the Lord, there's a better way than punching a bag in terms of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That the world knows the problem, but not the solution. We know so the true. solution, and the solution is not using people as punching bags. And I kind of said, Lord, I want to be an expert in terms of helping her heal in ways that doesn't involve a punching bag. We've got got the solution. And I never forgot that day. Mm -hmm. I I think about it often. That that was her way of healing. That's what the world says to do. And I just felt so bad for her. She's 
she's in my book on that chapter on sexual abuse, a true story. Wow. Yeah, my own experience, um, you know, I, I admitted everything in 1990 to my wife and uh, got into, you know, counseling and began my journey. And one of the things I needed, and um, I did not like kind of the the the, the secular 12-step uh, groups, uh, I, I get it, but it just, you know, I, I knew who my higher power was. And so I was trying to find a group, and there was, this was in 1990, there was nothing out there. And so uh, there was a ministry, the only one, uh, at, I mean, there was, there was hardly anything back then. Um, it was Pure Life Ministries, a guy named mm-hmm. Steve Gallagher in Kentucky. And um, I got in touch with him. I heard him on uh, American Family Radio, an AM radio station. And um, we communicated, and um, they wanted to start chapters, uh, like for men that were struggling in this area. And one of the things you had to do was go to your pastor and kind of get his blessing uh, to start this group. <laughs> and so this was, um, I was probably uh, just six months in, um, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, shame is still very fresh and real. And this was the first time I ever shared with a ministry person um, about, you know, just my story. And, and this was a very, very large Baptist church in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I get a meeting. Uh, it took me about three months to get a meeting. Um, and so I go in and I just tell him my story and tell him what I wanted to do and um, start this, you know, uh, men's meeting, um, Pure Life Ministries. And he looks at me and he says, we don't want anything like that associated with our church. Wow. I mean, that was just devastating. You know, I'm I'm already feeling God's call uh, into this arena, and you know certainly uh, that call has been fulfilled in doing what we do today. But that was very early, um, and boy, that just uh, was so so hurtful. Wow. wow! Yeah, and yet the response should have been, and I talk about this in my chapter on porn. If anybody should not be surprised at temptation of the eyeballs it's us because the bible talks about it so much over and over anybody should not be surprised if anybody would say of course i get it because god talks about the eyes and proverbs 5 there's just tons of places where he talks about if anybody should have some understanding and compassion and mercy and and truth they always gotta have the truth they would be the pastor because yeah. the ones who, because God talks about it, my goodness gracious, a lot. So just the opposite should have been the, the response because we should be the ones least surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's nothing new under the sun. Human nature hasn't changed a whole lot uh, since the beginning. But it is going to get, I do think it's going to get more pronounced when you oh, have yeah. portable porn in your pocket you know, with, with people who are young and, and the, the attempt to introduce all the, the transgender and sexuality to children, you know, it, it, it's only going to get more pronounced and there's going to be is. more victims. There's going to oh, be yeah. more ladies who are raped and molested. There's going to be more abortions. There's going to be more casual sex because children 
aren't meant to carry that heavy load and heavy burden about topics that they're not ready for. It's funny, if you dare talk about sexual topics at work, you're sued for harassment. You can't talk about it, but you're talking to, a, to your child about it in schools. Why the double standard? Insane. Oh, yeah. Why the double standard? I, uh, in one of the talks that I've done, um, one of the things I did, uh, I took the, uh, the, the you know, high-speed uh, broadband internet uh, when it came around, you know, it was around 2000, high-speed internet, and, and it's just a graph that shows the number of households, and then the next graph shows uh, the smartphones, and, you know, they hit around 08, 07, and again, you know, it's just over the last, you know, 20 years, and I mean, the graph, I mean, they mirror one another, and then the, the next one that I show is um, the calls to the National Sexual Assault Hotline. <laughs> and it mirrors uh, the rise of high-speed internet and smartphones. And then the next one I show is sexual assaults uh, on college campuses. And, I mean, if you overlay these graphs, I mean, there's a, there's a direct correlation. Mm -hmm. And then uh, sexual assaults in the military. And so all of this is just so connected um, and, uh, you, you know, the, oftentimes it's like I feel like the church just wants to stick its head in the sand and, and we have the solution. But, boy, it, it's not getting any better. That's for sure. Well, I, um, I did a talk to a church group about a bunch of church men about porn. I was asked to go and talk like a Wednesday night service. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, how am I going to bring up this topic so that the 80-year-old man and the 18-year-old, 14-year-old boy who are both at the same uh, men's group are not going to, you know, kind of like be in shock, you know, that what did he talk about? And um, I started off the, the, the talk, and I was worried, thinking, oh my goodness, how do I make this, you know, good for, for, for everybody on a topic so sensitive? And I said, you know, how many of you, what's your favorite Bible verse that maybe you want on, the, um, on your tombstone? You know, there's John 3.16. I see John, for God so loved the world. That's on the tombstone, the gravestone. There's Jeremiah 31, you know, about I've loved you with an everlasting love. There's Romans 8.28. You know, there's God, you know, works all things for good. There's Jeremiah about, you know, I have good things in plan for you. Oh, you know, just the typical favorite verses. I said, well, I've got a verse that I, I'm thinking about putting on my tombstone that, that I think is one of the coolest verses in the Bible, too. And um, I said, look up Proverbs 5.19. I said, anybody know what that is? And nobody, I said, so I asked a 14-year-old boy, of course, him to read it. And I said, I think this is one of the neatest verses in the Bible. Could you read it, please? May her breast satisfy you at all times. May you be captivated and intoxicated by her love and by her breast. Well, yeah. and I said, I said, I think that is one of the coolest verses in the Bible. God is not embarrassed to talk about it. He's saying, look at what I gave to you. Look at this gift. I said, I just think that is so cool that if God can talk about that. So as you all, as we talk about pornography tonight, I want that verse to say stuck in your head. Let her breast, only hers, no one else's. You can't look anywhere else. You can't be tempted by anybody else. Just hers. Be, in fact, the Hebrew word is to be captivated, to be intoxicated. Mm. I think that it, God said that. 
So yeah, yeah that's beautiful. how I began. That's how I opened with the message on pornography. And the and the 18-year-old and the 80-year-old can certainly identify with that. That's for sure. And, <laughs> and, and, but, you know, he says that. He, he talks about that. Yeah. And so why do we get all in a tizzy about things that God's not in a tizzy about? Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Sam, uh, man, it's so good to sit with you and um, just to learn more about just certainly the book and uh, the resource uh, that you have uh, made available to pastors, to churches. And um, man, I have enjoyed our time together. Uh, So if somebody's wanting to get in touch with you uh, or get the book, what's the best way to do that? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, there's a book called, you know, Sensitive Preaching to the Sexually Hurting. There's also a website called HealingSexualHurt.com, where on that site, it's for people who, you know, do have hurts and habits, women, men, and couples. All those seven topics that we talked about are on that website. And the website's written in a very conversational, invitational approach, where people can get a hold of me through the website healingsexualhurt.com, um, or you can just Google Dr. Sam Serio. But, you know, I get Skype calls and Zoom calls from all around the world uh, from people and couples who realize that, wow, I need some help here healing. This is tough. I, I don't know what to do about what someone did to me, or I don't know what to do about my LGBTQ orientation. Help me. And mm. uh, I just want other pastors to have the same tools, you know, which the book and the website can help you have. Amen. Well, it's good to fight the good fight uh, with with somebody um, that's that's on the front lines, and uh, so so glad we got to sit together, and uh, we will talk again soon, my friend. To learn more about what you've heard today, and to engage with the Sex God and Chaos team, visit Sex God Chaos dot com.